The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. And the clock on the wall says dinner time! Open the doors. Let the outsiders in. Hey, single file. You know the drill. How are you doing, tough guy? Are they getting enough food? They don't look too healthy. If they were too healthy, they'd be a worse pain than they already are. It gives you the right to treat them like this. I give me the right. Look, around here there's only three roles you can play. You can be a wolf, you can be a sheep, or you can be a corpse. Which are you? Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, August 17th, 2017. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing, it's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be I've been getting a lot of opportunities to illustrate the principles and political polarities that we've been discussing lately on the show, and today's no exception. Both the left and the right side of the political pole tend to see dark futures ahead. Or perhaps how one sees the future depends on whether you see yourselves as a wolf, a sheep, or a corpse. Or is there another way of attempting to predict the future? Well, let's take a look right after this reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, including Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, all of our past broadcasts. Well, you can bet that any society in which food is rationed and where people aren't getting enough food and where power is self-appointed by the wolves, that this is an unfree environment centrally controlled by force. You may recall that we recently warned everyone about the province of Ontario's radical drift into fascism. Sorry, that's the word we have to use, particularly since January 1st of this year when freedom of association among leaders and candidates of political parties was prohibited for fundraising purposes and efforts, and when the province announced that its planned minimum wage increases were not about minimum wages at all, but about forcing Ontario employers into a wealth redistribution plan with anyone they might hire. But if you're on the right and you're wondering why no one's even reacting to such explosive political developments... Perhaps the following feedback we received on our announcement on Facebook might give you some insight into the problem. Here we are, we've just announced this major problem in Ontario. We've gone fascist. And Ted C. writes, quote, This article is so full of smelly brown fecal matter. Period. <laughs> but I wrote him back and I said, Well, hello, Ted. We always appreciate 
intellectual input. We double-checked all of the quotes and facts in our article and have found no inaccuracies. Since your comment suggests that you have some further insight to the truth on this issue, we would appreciate your corrections of the facts which you have typified as quote-unquote fecal matter. Well, surprise, surprise, Ted replies. Quote, while I appreciate your response, I have no intention of fact-checking your facts to see if they are, in fact, real facts. Very few of these posts, I don't know which post he's talking about, not just rights, I can tell you that, stand up under heavy scrutiny, and not prepared to put the time and intellectual effort into it, I won't change your mind, and judging by the size of your posts, you have more time than I do. I have one question. When is the last time you lived off $11.25 an hour? <laughs> well, that was his response. And I wrote him back. I said, what you're clearly saying is that you don't know the facts yourself. And on the basis of not knowing those facts, your lack of knowledge, coupled with this, I don't know, cynical philosophy that all posts are non-factual, you have publicly passed an uninformed and unjust judgment. Your response suggests that you didn't even listen to the podcast from which all the references and quotes were drawn. You know, if he had, Ted would have heard the ministers themselves say the very things we quoted verbatim. There's literally no question about the accuracy of the facts or quotes in our post. I told him this. And I also told him that his cynicism suggests that you'll never be able to determine any truths or facts. And that is a true tragedy. Learning how to sort what's real from what's not real is in large part what this show's all about, isn't it? Rest assured, I, I told Ted, that every one of our posts and of our broadcasts could stand up to the heavy scrutiny of anyone. And after 30 years of broadcasting, we have never once, at least to the best of our knowledge, presented any fact that was not so. We always cite our references and we always leave ourselves open to being challenged on the facts which we would correct immediately, if found to be inaccurate. As to when was the last time we lived off 11.25 an hour? Well, the question's irrelevant, but given your cynicism, I don't think you'd believe our answer in any case. But to those forced out of the workplace by minimum wage laws, the relevant question is, quote, when was the last time you lived off zero dollars? Isn't that the real question here? The belief that all jobs that exist must provide those employed with a living wage is perhaps one of the most job-destroying ideas you could ever think up. You know, you know, we've, we've devoted many hours to the myths and realities about minimum wages on this show, and I would suggest to anyone, if you have any doubts about the harms caused by minimum wage and minimum wage laws, give those shows a listen. Then, if you still disagree, as I said to Ted, at least your opinion will be an informed one and not one expressed out of this sense of cynicism. And Ted writes back, get this, So now that I don't agree, you become insulting. Pretty much what I expected. Don't bother responding. I won't read it. <laughs> Seriously. Insulting indeed. Here I was extending Ted an opportunity to cl clarify his comment and to engage in an exchange that he himself initiated by posting an insult, by the way, referring to excrement, which everyone can still see online, and certainly not to any specific comment made by us. If seeing 
you know, your own expressed comments about your own opinions and, and attitudes being reflected back in this manner represents an insult. Maybe you should reconsider your cynical philosophy about not knowing, like you won't, don't want to read things. I mean, there's not much else you, you could say to Ted. There's a completely closed mind in the properly intended sense of that term. But no evidence or arguments are even visible to Ted because of his skepticism and cynicism. Yet T Ted took the time to write us until we questioned his stand. Then the conversation stopped. Sound familiar? Here's one view of the future that's not too positive, but is so wrong in so many ways. And this appeared in, in the London Free Press, also National Post byline, on August 12th and was written by Ken Westcar, who was merely identified as a Woodstock resident. And the headline reads, Dark Clouds of Populism Looming on the Horizon. And I quote, Canadians need only look at recent political events in the UK and in the US to see what happens when societies become polarized. And he writes, right and left-wing parties, there's those labels, and their supporters battle through the media by claiming that they best represent the interests of the person on the street. And many are inclined to surrender their personal values to be accepted as a devout member of one extreme or the other while their country goes to the dogs. <laughs> now, of course, what he's missing there is that what are the two extremes? See how not identified? Both extremes are on the left, by the way. But he writes, this is not yet the case in Canada. Perhaps our three-party parliamentary system and more sober media have a dampening effect. But there are dark clouds on our horizon. They result from the fact, now get this, that capital will be rewarded far more than labor as we enter the so-called fourth industrial revolution. That was always the case. Capital is always rewarded more than labor, and it doesn't matter what period of time that is. But capital takes the risk. Capital takes losses that labor does not. Now he does say this is not a new phenomenon. Neither government nor business wanted to bear the direct cost of this quantum shift in labor skills and hoped the free market would take care of it. Well, I guess they hoped that the free market would take care of it because they were hoping they might have a free market, but that never came to pass. He writes, They have resorted to blaming other countries and immigrants for their problems, which is much of the reason for the societal and political polarization we see in the UK and the US today. It is the root cause of substance abuse, suicide, radicalization, and spontaneous acts of violence that impose tremendous costs on society. Government, business, and academia must bear primary le leadership responsibility and accountability for transition planning. Now look at those words, government, business, and academia, and planning, all in one sentence. You don't want those groups planning anything, not as a group. The gov government planning, that's the problem. Governments can't plan the futures of other people. Governments can't determine market demands. The only way you can even get that information is by freeing the market up of government. Otherwise, any information you're getting is from the government. There is no market information, no true pricing, nothing like that. Government is force. You can't have it there. And academia? My God, that's where all the socialists and fascists come from. And business goes along with it because the politicians give the money at taxpayer expense <laughs> to go along with it. And that's how politicians always buy their votes with other people's money.
And then, of course, he cites that this will be one of the most challenging times in our history. We can manage it by doing what Canada does best. A healthy democracy, mutual accommodation, and open and honest dialogue. And that's by Ken Westar of Woodstock. Well, I don't know what planet Ken lives on. Woodstock, Mars, maybe. I know from repeated personal experience and observations that Canada has no dialogue, only a monologue, which is precisely why the writer sees us as not being polarized. If we had a dialogue, then, you know, you might have two sides to a discussion and not just one, and, oh boy, that would be polarization. But that is not acceptable in Canada. Polarization is an evil in and of itself. Expressing polarized opinions in Canada meaning only opinions on the right pole, of course, is for all intents and purposes prohibited. Once again, I must cite Ayn Rand's very first essay in the very first edition of the Ayn Rand newsletter dated October 11, 1971. Quote, Intellectual confusion is the hallmark of the 20th century, induced by those whose task it is to provide enlightenment by modern intellectuals. One of their methods is the destruction of language, and therefore of thought, and therefore of communication, by means of anti-concepts. An anti-concept is an unnecessary and rationally unusable term designed to replace and obliterate some legitimate concept. The use of anti-concepts gives the listeners a sense of approximate understanding, but in the realm of cognition nothing is as bad as the approximate. If loaded with too many approximations, you find yourself giving up the attempt to understand today's world, well, check your premises and the words that you are hearing. One of today's fashionable anti-concepts is polarization. Polarization is a term borrowed from physics. Transplanted from the realm of physics to the realm of social issues, this term means a situation in which men hold opposite or contrasting views or ideas, principles, and goals or values, tendencies. When used as a pejorative term, this means that men should not differ in their views, ideas, goals, and values, that such differences are evil, that men must not disagree. Like children and savages, they believe that human wishes are omnipotent, that everything would be all right if only we'd all agree on it, and that anything can be solved by cooperation, negotiation, and compromise. You know, this could be the substance of 90% of the commentaries and editorials I read in almost any newspaper. Now listen extra close to this and see if this conjures up an image of anything you've been hearing or seeing in the news lately. Quote, In the absence of intellectual polarization, we are witnessing the growth of the ugliest kind of divisiveness or existential polarization, if you will. Perhaps pressure group warfare. The country is splitting into dozens of blind, deaf, but screaming camps, each drawn together not by loyalty to an idea, but by the accident of race, of age, of sex, of religious creed, or the frantic whim of a given moment. Not by values held in common, but by a common hatred of some other group. Not by choice, but by terror. When men abandon principles, i.e. their conceptual faculty, two of the major results are, this is big, individually the inability to project the future, and socially 
the impossibility of communication. Welcome to 2017, written about way back in the 1970s. She, she predicted it perfectly. Rand has called this down the line without missing a beat. You know, this is exactly the process we've been witness to ever since the day Rand wrote that to this very past weekend with the events in Charlottesville, about which we'll be talking about a little later. But consider this question in light of what we've just heard Rand say. Quote, when men abandon principles, the consequence is an inability to project the future. Doesn't that perfectly describe why the unprincipled major media was so wrong about projecting Trump's presidency and why our own very principled Salim Mansour kept hitting the nail right on the head each and every time. I don't get it. Aren't these terraforming pines? If you say so. If this plant was terraformed, there must be something here you can eat. Well, maybe they didn't finish the job. All I know is the soil pH is wrong. There's too much alkali. You try eating this stuff, it'll burn a hole in your guts. And even if you can stomach it, it's lacking vital nutrients. It's one of the ways they control the prisoners. And the inmates control a food distribution center. The strong get stronger and the weak get weaker. <laughs> what about her? Uh, she's an android. She doesn't need any food. She's running off fumes, right? She's conserving power. I don't know how much longer she has. Well, all the more reason for you to help me, then. Help you do what? Whip the inmates' butts, of course. Well, why do you think I helped rescue you? Ah, uh, because we're innocent, because you wanted to help us? You sure do have some warm, fuzzy ideas about convicted felons. You want me to help you fight Kaylee's men? I'm sorry, I can't do that. Well, why not? You've seen them, you know what they're like. Kaylee. There's three types of people around here. Wolves, sheep, and corpses. Which one are you? None of the above. Kaylee's gang aren't the only inmates in Helios. If I help you run her out, how long will it be before another gang comes along and starts the whole cycle all over again? It's the system that's wrong. You shouldn't even be here. Let me help you leave this place. Leave this place? You're right. to come back. I, I, I need to talk to you. What's happening here is wrong. We need to work together. You have to help me. Help you what? Rescue Jessa. Why would I risk my life for an outsider? Because the outsiders aren't your enemy. It's the system that needs to be defeated. You're here because the system says you're a criminal, even if you never committed a crime. Your genes are bad, you're broken. I mean, come on, you believe that? It's the system that's broken. That's where you're wrong. The system's not broken. It's working exactly the way they want it to. Mm-hmm. Well, in that case, let's break it. Now you're talking my language. Now there's someone who's got it right. Now she's talking my language. <laughs> 
the system is working exactly according to the desire of its creators. You know, I, I hear this complaint all the time that, you know, so-and-so in Ontario, and that would be Kathleen Wynne and her liberal fascists, are screwing things up, and that Ontario's failing as, as a consequence of her government's failed policies. But the liberal failures are only a failure in the eyes of those who regard them as such. Liberals are quite proud and committed to their fascism and the results it produces. All the pain, all the suffering, all the expense, because it all serves to destroy freedom and capitalism. That is their goal. That's what they're all about. They keep telling us. They're announcing it from the UN. This is not about climate change. It's about fighting capitalism. And nobody hears them because they don't even know what the word capitalism means, for God's sakes. Let alone climate change. You know, when Captain Hunt said in that clip, let's break it, referring to the system that wasn't broken, but that was evil, he gave the right advice. But the problem's this. The same principle applies when the bad guys want to break the good and moral system of governance and economics. And that's the process we're all witnessing in the Western world today. You're watching the left simply go out breaking the system down. They have nothing to replace it with, though, other than their own chaos. We're heading for a real downturn in so many ways, particularly on the political front. And it might not feel like that today, but it didn't feel like that in any country where things suddenly got to that tipping point. Got this interesting letter from a listener who hears us on WBCQ. And he wrote, I have lost my way in terms of politics, and I see myself conflicted with extreme views that have been brought about by newer far-right propaganda videos on YouTube. What my conflict is, he writes, is my confusion on how capitalism is supposed to be defined. Why do you think of it as left versus right, as if it were just a straight line that swings between the two? Sincerely, Alex. Well, thank you, Alex, for taking the time to write us and for your interest in following up on a number of issues with which we deal regularly. But your question regarding how capitalism is supposed to be defined speaks to the discipline of epistemology. Epistemology sets the rules for, among other things, what constitutes a proper definition. Essentially, what has become known as capitalism, I guess, never to be confused with capitalists or with business, different things. But capitalism is the natural economic environment that arises under a condition of freedom. That's what you get. If nobody's telling you how to run your life, you'll end up with a condition called capitalism. Under capitalism, coercion is, is eliminated from the marketplace. And the government is the referee of that marketplace, not a, not a player in the game. In terms of left and right political lab labels, freedom and capitalism properly sit on the right, while all other variants of collectivist ideologies, you know, like communism, socialism, fascism, and any of their subcategories, these all sit on the left. Now here's another letter, and this one came from writer Conrad, who writes, Yes, we live in an increasingly repressive fascist socialist state. We who are able to perceive objective reality, to practice the primacy of existence, 
have known this for a long time. Sadly, I see almost no hope for the future of the societies and countries of the Western world. There are three reasons, three relentless factors. One, the many policies driving societal decay and chaos are being imposed purposely as a frighteningly effective strategy to control. Control in the sense of the new world order, world government. Two, with every succeeding generation, the average intelligence of the populace declines. This too is part of a purposeful strategy. It is also a biological consequence of the policy-driven practice of diseugenics, whether purposeful or unintentional. For example, overly taxing the competent high, high achievers and subsidizing the dependent poor has obvious detrimental long-term consequences. And three, quote-unquote democracy is becoming, in light of the above two factors, an increasingly powerful tool for ever more repression and control, a tool in the hands of the super-clever, super-evil New World Order elite. Think Plato's Philosopher Kings, but with a philosophical twist under which the individual is totally subordinated to the world state. Well, thank you for writing, Conrad. And while I can't argue with any of your observations and expectations for the immediate future, it is easy to see why those observed factors have led to, I guess, a pessimistic view of that future. Now, the danger, of course, in having this attitude is that that very thing might prevent the very actions necessary to reverse the direction in which we're heading. It's an experience that many cultures have gone through in the past, and no doubt will again in the future. On this side of the bumper, a conversation between two people about to face the destruction of their culture and their civilization. While on the other side of the bumper, as we return, we'll be hearing a conversation between two people in the process of restoring a destroyed culture and civilization. Trouble sleeping? It's something of a tradition, Guinan. Captain touring the ship before a battle. Oh. Before a hopeless battle, if I remember the tradition correctly. Not necessarily. Nelson toured the HMS Victory before Trafalgar. Yes, but Nelson never returned from Trafalgar, did he? No, but the battle was won. Do you expect this battle to be won? We may yet prevail. That's uh, a conceit. But it's a healthy one. I wonder if the Emperor Honorius, watching the Visigoths coming over the seventh hill, truly realized that the Roman Empire was about to fall. This is just another page in history, isn't it? Will this be the end of our civilization? Turn the page. This isn't the end. You say that with remarkable assuredness. With experience. When the Borg destroyed my world, my people were scattered throughout the universe. We survived as will humanity survive. As long as there's a handful of you to keep the spirit alive, you will prevail, even if it takes a millennium. 
want you to apologize to President Lee. The man committed genocide. Not according to the Castalian public records, or the official investigation into the explosion. They both say the Volsung habitat was taken up by friendly fire. And you believe them? Right now, you have one story and the Castalians have another. One that is perfectly plausible. Think more than a few moves ahead, Tyr, and remember the long game. Re-establish the Commonwealth, and we re-establish open inquiry, accountability, and justice. Justice? For Nietzscheans? For everyone. Well, there's no point. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. It is thanks to our financial supporters that it is possible for us to continue on our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with the world. Visit www.justrightmedia.org to offer your financial support. And while you're there, be sure to sample some of our timeless past broadcasts, all archived for your enjoyment and convenience. And be sure to share. Well, in the end, I suppose the eternal and universal call of justice for all is, if, you know, if one is really talking about justice, <laughs> the ideal solution to all of humanity's governance challenges, isn't it? But justice is not a goal of the left. The left wants social justice, which, as we examined recently, is injustice, group justice. It's not individual justice. One of the anti-concepts that is used to destroy a real concept, and that's why they use it. Individual justice is right, and is a concept of the right. Yet right and left are constantly being identified by vague associations of people and ideologies that have no references to ideas themselves. I suppose one point to be made is that there's really no philosophers of the true right and this is an emerging field that I think still has to establish itself. The left requires and thrives pretty much on a lack of definition in order to survive without being seen for its true colors. It doesn't want definition. But with the exception of still relatively rare programs like this one, the rest of those who see themselves on the right are in a constant state of disarray and conflict, all because they don't know left from right. Now, if anything were to exemplify this reality, it is the recent developments that occurred this past weekend, not in Charlottesville, but at the rebel media in reaction to Charlottesville. It turns out to be most significant that our whole concerted effort to clarify the right and left polarity of political ideology began right after my return from a weekend in Toronto where I attended a full-day event hosted by the Rebel Media. talked about it on the show at the time. And I warned then that I saw all kinds of danger signs in the conflicting concepts of left and right and conservative and liberal and all the other labels that were in use there. And I, and I was feeling really uncomfortable about it. It was one of the issues that got me involved in this whole discussion in the first place because I thought it had to be addressed. I could see a, a disaster coming. Well, evidence of that is already happening. And this weekend in Charlottesville seemed to have touched it off. But I'm not going to be talking about Charlottesville this week. We'll get to that one later on an upcoming show. But here is a memo issued by Ezra Levant. I guess it's a staff memo on the alt-right uh, dated on the 14th of August. 
in which he reports that this weekend our reporter Faith Goldie covered the alt-right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia. When I first heard of the alt-right a year ago, I thought it simply meant the insurgent right, the politically incorrect right, the grassroots right, the nationalistic right, the right that was a counterweight to the establishment of the GOP, the right that backed Trump and his Make America Great Again style over Jeb Bush and the swamp. It was an unashamed right-wingedness with a sense of humor. But the alt-right has changed into something new, especially since Trump's election. And here he gets into talking about what happened at the meeting or at the, at the rally and that there were white supremacists there, and neo-Nazis, and there were even not swastika flags and all this. And, of course, he's been criticized for being there, for even reporting on the event. But Ezra has said in his letter here, we will still report on what the alt-right says and does, and we will surely report more accurately than the mainstream media does. We can stand up for their freedom of speech and freedom of assembly and oppose censorship like the ACLU courageously did in Charlottesville. Well, this is all very true, but it doesn't solve the basic problem of the labeling. He writes, and of course we can point out differences with which extremist, black, gay, Muslim, or feminist identity politics are treated by the establishment, as opposed to how white identity politics are treated. That's really what the alt-right is, in my mind, the mirror image of Black Lives Matter, writes Ezra. So let me sum up our position, he concludes. We are not alt-right. That term now effectively means racism, anti-Semitism, and tolerance of neo-Nazism. We are conservatives as opposed to socialists. We are nationalists as opposed to globalists. We believe in having borders as opposed to Merkel and Trudeau-style migration. We are opposed to identity politics, inherent in state multiculturalism, and affirmative action, and we do not support countervailing white nationalism as a response. So we are different from the alt-right in many ways. And finally, we are aware that the alt-right, as it is now constituted and led, is an obscure, small, ineffective movement. The alt-right is not effective at promoting conservative ideas it doesn't even claim to be. But after this weekend, the media certainly sees the alt-right as it being effective at discrediting conservative ideas. Well, he's right about that. <laughs> but here was the real shock of the weekend about the same event by Brian Lilly. By the way, both Ezra Levant and Brian Lilly have been guests on this show. And he wrote, why I am leaving the rebel. I may have helped start the rebel, but I am no longer with the rebel. I wish them well going forward, but no longer feel comfortable being part of the group that originally planned to carry on the legacy of Sun News. And here he gets to his point. I'm skipping a lot of the, the details, but here's the thing that bothered him. Quote, what anyone from the rebel was doing at a so-called Unite the Right rally that was really an anti-Semitic white power rally is beyond me, especially not a rally dedicated to keeping up a statue of Robert E. Lee, a man that whatever else he stood for also fought on the wrong side of history and the wrong side of America's bloodiest conflict. 
Well, I agree with them to avoid anything called unite the right. I, I spoke out against that whole concept many, many years ago. There is no such thing as a unity of disparaging interests and, and people moving in all different directions. That is a disaster. But I'm a little uncomfortable with what Mr. Lilly has said here about Robert Lee ending up on the wrong side of history. Well, that's a consequence of history. We don't change history and rip down statues because we don't like the history. If anything, shouldn't that statue be there to remind us of the negativity of that history? Why would you remove a memory of such a thing? I don't, I don't, I don't understand that. He says, I was never enamored by the alt-right and never saw its appeal. Of course, when the first time we ran into that whole very concept of alt-right, what did we call it? We called it alt-wrong right off the bat. But here's what uh, Brian Lilly concludes. What the rebel suffers from is a lack of editorial and behavioral judgment that left unchecked will destroy it and those around it. For that reason, I am leaving. I am not comfortable being associated with a group that, rightly or wrongly, is being increasingly viewed as associated with the likes of Richard Spencer. Like many of you, I, I had family that fought the Nazis. I never want to be in the same room as one. I'm also not comfortable with the increasingly harsh tone taken on issues like immigration or Islam. There are ways to disagree on policy without resorting to us-versus-them rhetoric. I, I, see, these are, I haven't really made a conclusion about what to think about what Brian's saying here. I'm not sure I understand the entire context, but some of these comments are making me a little uncomfortable. Because there are times when you have to turn the debate into us-versus-them because the other side has done that. He says, in today's political and online culture, I know one thing to be true. I will be attacked from all sides for this. Let me assure you, I will continue to fight for the principles I believe in, smaller government, greater personal freedom, a dedication to conserving that which made this country great in the first place. I will just do it in a different venue, etc. Well, there's a very unexpected event. And I don't know what to think about that as yet. At this early date, I'm still not completely sure what to make of the nuances and the other circumstances that may have led to Lily's decision to leave or to Ezra's apparent past interest in alt-right. You know, another anti-concept that Robert Vaughn and I on our November 10th show called Alt-Wrong. But fun and irony aside, ask yourself this simple question. What is quote-unquote, alt-right. I mean, literally. <laughs> what would be the alternative to the right? Well, you've only got one choice. So go ahead and pick one. <laughs> you got it. It's left. <laughs> the label that defines the alternative to the right. There's only two. There is no alt-right or alternate right or alternative right. The term itself is oxymoronic. Think about... <laughs> Imagine trying to apply it, apply it literally in traffic. Honey, that turn's coming up soon, but don't turn right, turn alt-right. The next sound you hear will be a crash. <laughs> well, in an age where fake news and fake science and fake history are among the key talking points of the day, the hidden agenda behind those who continue to dwell on, on, on a phenomenon that has really been with us since the dawn of communication is innocently accepted. And namely, that agenda is 
to believe that there is no truth in news or reporting anywhere, and that objective truth is not even a possibility. So many people are thinking that way, and that is not correct. Okay, ten minutes for lighting. David? Yeah? Is it possible? Yeah. Uh, what? No, that's all right. Well, what's the question? It's just something in this, but you're just going to be all horrible. No, I'm not. What is it? In here, it looks like, I mean, I mean, basically, can people levitate? Can people levitate? Oh, I knew I shouldn't have asked. Can people levitate? Don't just... I mean, it's no, isn't it? Yes, it is no. Don't be like that. <laughs> what? I haven't said anything. Don't have a go at me. You're the moron who thinks people might be able to levitate. It was very convincing. Can you levitate? I, I knew you'd be a... I'm just trying to get to the root of why you felt the need to ask such a humiliating question. <laughs> because I have the intellectual confidence to appear stupid sometimes. You're the thick bastard who has to pretend he knows everything. Well, certainly I'm sufficiently insecure to have felt the need to establish to my own satisfaction before the age of 33 whether or not humans can fly. That makes me a chippy little autodidact in your eyes and so be it. I'm just not going to ask you anything ever again. Lunch in ten minutes? Uh, twelve minutes, you twat! <laughs> <laughs> ten, twelve, And now in your visa screen you can see the Milky Way! giant system of stars, planets, and clouds of dust and gas, which measure 100,000 light years in diameter. Our sun is one of the stars in the Milky Way, rotating with it like some chair on a great Ferris wheel. Does life exist somewhere other than this Earth? There are a billion stars in the Milky Way, giving light and heat to as many planets. And the possibility of discovering other beings is no longer fantasy. Perhaps they will be even more intelligent than we are. Perhaps, perhaps we can learn from them not only the secret of our origin, but how to keep from destroying ourselves. And now we reverse rockets. And we're homeward bound on a true course to the Joyland spaceport. You positively mystify me. Why? Oh, philosophizing about life on other planets for the benefit of one small boy. I mean, the young people are the only ones who really listen and understand. You can't reach a closed mind. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I get tired of making the same old speech. You know, you don't belong here. No, I'm serious. I mean, who works in amusement parks? Drifters, ex-carnies, and students during summer vacation. I have lovely artists. Oh, yes, artists who can't sell their paintings. But I prefer this to waiting tables. Well, I belong wherever I happen to be. I am a drifter. What are you drifting from? You, know, you have the occupational disease of all undiscovered artists. A, um, a hyperactive imagination and its byproduct, snooping. 
<laughs> well, a man who reads Kant's Critique of Pure Reason does not belong where artists who can't sell their paintings belong. Or did I imagine you reading that? And in the original German? Well, I'm a compulsive reader. Dave, I asked what you were drifting from. I'd like to change that. What are you drifting toward? Well, isn't that the $64,000 question? Wow. You know, if you are drifting, then you haven't yet committed to a firm position or philosophy, of which in politics, there are really only two directions and two polarities. And in the absence of knowing which direction and which to point, because of a lack of moral political compass, people are lost. You'll recall that in our determination of what is on the left and what is on the right side of the political polarity, we stress that there is no middle road, no position to take that is the so-called center between freedom and tyranny, two completely opposing conditions that define the relationship of an individual to his or her government. I mean, that's what it is. Now, the likelihood that someone reading Kant, <laughs> as in that clip we just heard, is that that person will drift towards the left for sure, where reason, shall we say, is less appreciated. Rhode Island Rand on the subject of Immanuel Kant, quote, On every fundamental issue, Kant's philosophy is the exact opposite of objectivism. The man who closed the door of philosophy to reason was Immanuel Kant. Kant's expressly stated purpose was to save the morality of self-abnegation and self-sacrifice. He knew that it could not survive without a mystic base, and what it had to be saved from was reason. The phenomenal quote-unquote world, said Kant, is not real. Reality, as perceived by man's mind, is a distortion. The distorting mechanism is man's conceptual faculty. Man's basic concepts, such as time, space, existence, are not derived from experience or reality, but come from an automatic system of filters in his consciousness, labeled categories, and forms of perception, which impose their own design on his perception of the external world and make him incapable of perceiving it in any manner other than the one in which he does perceive it. This proves, said Kant, that man's concepts are not only a delusion, but a collective delusion, which no one has the power to escape. Thus, reason and science are quote-unquote limited, said Kant. They are valid only so long as they deal with this world, with a permanent predetermined collective delusions, end quote. And that's the end of the quote of Ayn Rand, quoting Immanuel Kant. So once again, we see demonstrated the primacy of consciousness that is the characteristic of all anti-reason philosophies. Well, if anyone has any doubts about all political debates being couched in terms of total misunderstandings of left and right, here's one for the books. This came out of a, a local London newspaper here. Not the London Free Press, but Our London. In the printed version of Our London this past week, the London Calling headline over an article written by Scott Taylor read, Extremely Wrong, quote-unquote. But the headline in the online version read, Ignoring the Center, a Losing Strategy. And this was an opinion piece published on August 3rd. And it's a very interesting 
piece, to say the least. I just love irony, don't you? I mean, based on the headline alone, let's make one thing clear. All political parties gear their policies and ideologies to what they perceive to be the center. But there's a catch. The center doesn't exist. (laughs) And hence, the complete loss of direction by all parties. Where did they end up? On the left. Scott Taylor writes, quote, There has always been a left and right in politics, but until recently, they swam for the most part in the same sea. It took the chosen one, also known as Donald Trump, to part that sea, leaving a swath of scorched earth between the two sides. (laughs) Well, let's take a break already. In reality, there has always been a left and left in politics, which accounts for why the writer has acknowledged it by observing this so-called left and right, quote, swam in the same sea. What does that tell you? If they're swimming in the same sea, isn't that sea on the left or the right? Oh, no, they're, both sides are together on the same side. You see the contradictions? They can't even get, get examples or, or create images that make sense. Then he continues, quote, The only question is... What will occur sooner? Trump gets tossed, civil war erupts between the red and blue states, or there's a revolution of some sort. (laughs) Okay, that might be exaggerating, he says. But that type of ideology is beginning to seep into Canada. Well, what ideology? What is he talking about? No ideology has been mentioned. Revolution and civil wars are not ideologies. They're caused by conflicts of ideologies. Ideologies competing for the same center. A center which has no political options but options on the left. What other options are there? Fake news indeed, he writes. The left also has its share of wingnuts and special interest groups, though they do sound smaller in number and rage. Now, I don't know what the heck he's talking about here. Because if he thinks the left wingnuts and special interest groups are smaller in number and rage. Well, let me see. There's the Democratic Party. There's Black Lives Matter, ISIS, Islamist terrorists, Justin Trudeau, Kathleen Wynne, their parties, Patrick Brown, Andrea Horwath, the entire Ontario legislature. Yeah, obviously smaller in number and rage. Yeah, right. He continues, I wonder if politicians realize, though, how many Canadians consider themselves to be closer to the center of the political spectrum. I lean left, but have voted right plenty of times, and possibly will in the next provincial election. (laughs) I know many conservatives who voted for Trudeau because they objected to the way Stephen Harper went about things, end quote. Well, it's pretty certain that Mr. Taylor has never voted right in the meaningful sense of that term. Have you noticed that the writer has never yet defined a single term other than his own unsupportable bias against what he thinks is the right and Donald Trump? This person is beyond fake news and wouldn't be able to tell reality from fantasy as long as this is his way of thinking about left and right. His commentary is aptly named. Extremely wrong. <laughs> Look, politicians always cater to the center, which is precisely what destroys their parties from within because they stop appealing to their own base and to the principles on which their parties are based and that kills it all just look at patrick brown's ontario progressive conservatives to appeal to some imaginary center a party would have to be both 
pro and anti-abortion, both pro and anti-carbon pricing, both pro and anti-any policy you can think of. Just look at Patrick Brown of the progressive conservatives. Look at any of them. They'll tell anybody what they think that person needs to hear. Because that's what they have to do. <laughs> it is because they appeal to this imaginary center that politicians must lie, m misrepresent, and otherwise abandon any principles that they might have pretended to have had when they entered politics, right? There's, how can they get around this? Scott writes, Sun News thought it had caught the zeitgeist when it launched its Fox News clone, but it died a fairly quick and merciful death, starving on the ratings you might expect from Wayne's World. Newspapers, too, risk extinction for backing the same color horse year after year. Sooner or later, and it looks like sooner, readers will experience a sort of Groundhog Day, in which every political story they read will be just like the one before it. Party A is always good, party B is always bad. So it was written, so it shall be done, he writes. Well, there's a point that exposes the wrong focus. The issue is always about who is bad or good, not what is bad or good. This is where, where he's focusing on the wrong thing. How can you know who's bad or good if you don't know what is bad or good? But that doesn't seem to matter to anybody in today's political environment. Then Mr. Taylor writes and continues, There are voters of all stripes in southwestern Ontario, so to pander to just one segment means inevitable defeat, even if many feel strongly for their parties. We have the luxury of free thought and the ability to change our mind as we see fit. Politicians in the media would be wise to accept, if not embrace, this reality going forward. End quote. You know, I cannot possibly overstate just how ridiculous and irrational that last statement is. By voters of all stripes, he can only be referring to totally confused voters who have lost their political direction. What are the stripes? Just how many can there be in a process that is strictly digital? I mean, it's about voting, for or against. There may be many politicians and candidates, but there are really only two stripes, left or right. In Canada, the political center is ideologically completely on the left. It's not, it's not a half point or not. It's on the left. The majority makes that identity. And finally, he concludes, quote, The conservative Trump and the liberal Trudeau have come, and they will one day go, only to be replaced by others. Don't bet it all on the same horse every time, he concludes, end quote. Well, of course, even here, this is the wrong focus. It's never about the horse. It's about the direction in which the horse is traveling, isn't it? <laughs> the problem is that liberal NDP and conservative horses move in every direction except right. And then they eventually drift over to the left, which is where they end up. Politics is ultimately about philosophy, and the philosophical awareness of the average person regrettably is less than nil. It is in the negative area, in fact. You know, what people do know that just ain't so. Now, most people still do not even have an inkling that their government is a gun. Quite literally, a gun right, rightly intended for the collective to defend life, liberty, and property, but which has now been turned left being used in the destruction of life, liberty, and property. Most people don't know that constitutions are supposed to limit what government can do, not define and limit what individuals can or cannot do. That's not what the constitutions do. 
That's what the law does. That's a different thing. Most people don't know that democracy is completely different from majority rule and that the latter will destroy the former. And almost every voter doesn't know left from right, from up, from down, from in, from out when it comes to politics and political ideologies. Let me requote from Ayn Rand. Quote, Is there a solution? Yes. In its present state, what this country needs above all is the clarifying, reassuring confidence and credibility inspiring guidance of fundamental principles. I.e., in modern parlance, get this, intellectual polarization. This would bring into our cultural atmosphere an all but forgotten quality. Honesty, with its corollary, clarity. Now, doesn't that make sense? Because if you're appealing to the center, you have to be dishonest. You're appealing to several interests. At least if you appeal to one side or the other, everybody knows who you are, what you are. And they know what their two choices are. And you might recall when over the course of our past several shows on this theme, I responded to several feedback remarks from people saying that they couldn't understand our message about the primacy of consciousness versus the primacy of existence. And what I suggested at that time was that they were what they were really objecting to was the clarity of the definitions. Definitions that they understood very well, but could simply not respond to. That's what Ayn Rand's talking about here. Clarity. And what it gives you. Which brings us back to the necessity of polarizing and defining left and right. This is hitting me like a ton of bricks, especially over this past six or eight months. You can see and hear how effective this is by the way that the left has been reacting to our own polarization of the issues. They blank right out. As to the future, back to Rand. Quote, when men abandon principles, two of the major results are individually the inability to project the future, socially the impossibility of communication. End quote. But from where we stand now, I have to agree with our writer Conrad, who has little doubt that things will still get a lot worse before they get better. But the variable, and how long that turnaround might take, is dependent on just one thing. It'll happen when a political majority consciously and consistently chooses a political direction that is just right. One towards freedom and capitalism, not away from it. And we hope you'll do the same, not in some variable future, but exactly one week from today, when we, at least, will return to continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and for heaven's sakes, be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white, under the bedclothes. Everything will be alright. Very well. They're coming. Now we'll see how these Russians deal with a crack SS division. Uh, hands. Have courage, my friend. Yeah. Uh, hands, I've just noticed something. These communists are all cowards. <laughs> Have you looked at our caps recently? Our caps? The badges on our caps. Have you looked at them? What? No. A bit. They've got skulls on them. 
Have you noticed that our caps have actually got little pictures of skulls on them? I don't, uh... Hans, are we the baddies? 